Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I'm going to shoot a statement out at you as we begin this journey, this teaching towards preparing our hearts. The statement is this, do this in remembrance of me. Obviously, if you've read through the Gospels and you're familiar with communion, and you'll know that these are the words of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear those words, do this in remembrance of me, I picture that portrait of Leonardo da Vinci, that painting, The Last Supper, and seeing Jesus there with all the disciples at this table and celebrating uh, the feast of Passover. And at some point during that, that feast, during that celebration, Jesus takes the bread and breaks it and takes the cup and gives it to the disciples. And his words clearly explain the purpose for communion. Uh, communion, we did not come together this morning to re-sacrifice Jesus. We did not come together this morning to re-crucify him. We come together this morning as a memorial and as a remembrance of what he's done, to celebrate all that he's done, to hold in reverence uh, the Lord Jesus, his blood, his body, which he gave for us. In Luke chapter 22, in verse 19, it states this about Jesus. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I want to talk to you this morning about the power of remembrance, the power of remembering. Many of us can think back in times in our human relationships, and, and maybe in the very uh, recent history, it could be years and years ago. Remember a time that maybe one of your relationships became strained, whether it was a, a marriage relationship or a friendship or a church relationship. When they become strained, there's something that happens at times if we will allow it to. In other words, when you start to remember even though you're mad at the person, you're, you may be offended and they might be offended at you and there's just an awkwardness there. But then you start remembering the good times that you had. And I hope there's more good times than there were bad. You start remembering the good times. And there's a power of healing that is released in that remembrance. You start thinking about what was the big deal? What did we fight over anyway? And this was foolish and this is not worth sacrificing a relationship and you start thinking about the good things that you shared together. Uh, in a marriage, obviously. You start thinking about the good times together as friends when maybe you spent time over a cup of coffee, you kind of unburdened your heart and, and that other person was there and they were faithful to listen to you and, and faithful to, to let you vent and, and gave you good advice and gave you good godly counsel. And maybe, maybe a church relationship, a relationship between another brother and sister in the Lord becomes strained and then you start thinking about the times when you served together you're talking about the times when maybe you prayed together and you saw God move in a tremendous way and you know, you know that person was there for you and you, you could call them at night and, and share your heart and they would pray with you. There's, there is power in remembrance. There is, a, there is a healing, there's a comfort. There is something that's released when we remember the good times, we remember the good things that helps us to overcome the strain of the relationship. Now in Jesus' case, he knew that his disciples were gonna need something very powerful to hold on to in order to survive life here on earth without his physical presence being here. And we know that Jesus, for three, three and a half years uh, on this earth, the last three and a half years of his life here on the earth, 
was spent predominantly with the disciples. They ate together, they traveled together, they, 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 they witnessed him pray and see the miracles of God uh, firsthand. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him uh, open up blind eyes and deaf ears. They saw this, they experienced this all together. And now they're gonna be facing the fact of he's not gonna be there. And at the Last Supper, they don't know this yet. And so he's doing everything possible. And he's wanting to, to give them some in-depth teaching that they can hold on to once he's gone. But then he gives them a symbol. He gives them an observance to follow. He breaks the bread and he tells them that this represents my body. And he gives them the cup and he tells them, this cup represents my blood. And then he says to them, whenever you come together and do this, do it in remembrance of me. In other words, when times get tough, when the pressures of life come on full force, he said, you can remember all that I have been to you through the bread and through the cup. And that's what we're venturing to do today. I have a book in my possession at home. And the name of that book is How Deep Are the Stripes? And it's written by a gentleman named Bob Yandian, a great, great, great Bible teacher, was here a number of years ago to minister. And he, he wrote a passage in this book that just jumped out at me. I thought it was worth sharing. This is what he states in his book, How Deep Are the Stripes? Talking about Jesus' experience at the cross and all that he endured. He said, the communion elements represent the works Jesus did on the cross. Now follow me here. One for the inward man and one for the outward man. The blood signifies the remission of sin and the bread speaks of the body of Jesus by whose stripes we were healed. The blood makes us righteous and the body makes us whole and free from sickness and disease. You think about that. Communion requires two elements. Requires that bread, whether we use uh, matzah or unleavened bread or any other kind of bread, or in this case, we use these little wafers here because it's kind of very sanitary and, and things of that nature. And, but whatever we're using, whether you're home and you use a Ritz cracker and a cup of juice, it's the fact that it's, you have attached significance to it as representative of the body and of the blood of the Lord Jesus. And I want us to remember this morning how Jesus at the cross took care of the two main problems that mankind suffers from. Number one, he paid for our sins with his blood. Think about that. Blood was required by the Father in heaven. Following the pattern in the Garden of Eden so many thousands of years before that, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that God did when he showed up on the scene is to remedy that situation and to redeem them back out of the immediate onslaught of the guilt and condemnation that just overtook them. They felt fear, they experienced fear for the first time. And that fear drove them to hide. And then that desire to get out from under that shame and that fear caused them to, the Bible says they took fig leaves and sewed them together and tried to cover themselves and cover their shame. And mankind's been trying to do the same thing ever since. That was the very first religious activity, the very first religion that was formed on the earth was fig leafism the idea that you can cover yourself with fig leaves and that you would attain acceptance in the sight of God. And of course it didn't work. So God comes on the scene and the first thing he does is an animal has to die. Something is slain and blood is shed. And the skins of that animal were taken and covered over Adam's nakedness and his wife's nakedness. 
And so we understand that by the blood, you and I have been brought near to, to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's, there's a saying that you hear out in, many times in the business world. You know, when, when there's the idea of a person coming and taking a responsibility for a job or a position, or possibly, let's say, if you have a business venture that you're going into and you want a partner, you're going to bring a partner in. Well, the idea is, okay, what is that partner going to bring with them? What part are they going to play? In other words, what do they bring into the table? And sometimes you hear, you hear this phrase, you know, you, they've got to put some blood into this thing. In other words, there's got to be something that costs them to get involved, and it's usually to show the commitment to a particular cause or a commitment to the person's part they're gonna play in that relationship. Well, Jesus proved how committed he was to us because he withheld nothing, not even his own blood, as it pertained to rescuing us and salvaging us. And it could be said that Jesus was all in as it pertained to our salvation, amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, I'm gonna read to you from the Passion Translation. Since we are now joined to Christ and we have been given the treasures of redemption, and I just love the way this this translation uh, kind of opens up and, and, and gives us such clarity into the original language here. It, it speaks of the treasures of redemption and the treasures, plural, of redemption. See, because redemption, when you and I were redeemed, we weren't just saved from going to hell. Our life here on this earth has changed. The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us. And all the promises of God now to us have been confirmed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it affects every area of our lives. And salvation, uh, the Greek term for salvation is the word sozo. Sozo covers every part of our, our being, our spirit, our soul, our physical bodies. And so when we redeem, when Jesus redeemed us out from under the guilt and condemnation of sin and out of darkness, it affected every part of our being, our tripart nature, spirit, soul, and body. And so uh, this translation calls it the treasures of redemption, not just being saved from going to hell, but actually living on this planet with the Spirit of God indwelling in us, with the power of God in our lips and on our mouth, just as we speak the word of God and the power of God is released. That is a supernatural activity that's given to us. That is part of the treasures of redemption. And it talks about the total cancellation of our sins, all because, and now look at the wording that's used here, so awesome all because of the cascading riches of his grace. Look at at that wording there, just picture this, cascading. What is a cascade? A cascade is that whole action of a waterfall. And just picture yourself going through through the woods and going through uh, a forest. Have you ever been like in say late July and August and with the humidity and the gnats are flying around your head and, and it's just so much heat and just it seems like it's surrounding you and, and you just do anything to jump into a cool lake or a pool or something and you come across, you come across this waterfall, you come across this, this beautiful, crystal clear, uh, just pure, ice cold, delicious water and you just throw yourself underneath that and just, just find yourself refreshed and your body temperature is coming down and the gnats are not flying around your head. And that's a beautiful picture of the grace of God because the grace of God just refreshes us. The grace of God just, just changes our temperament and just changes everything about us and, and that was all given to us and all made available to us because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're happy about that today, I am. And then John, 1 John chapter 2 tells us, in verse 1, you are my dear children and I write these things so you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving redeemer. Man, that's good news right there. That's, that's enough to make you want to celebrate. We continually have a forgiving redeemer 
who is face to face, think about that, Jesus now, face to face with our Father in heaven, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John is wanting to remind us, the Holy Spirit through John is reminding the church of his day, and obviously the church all throughout the ages, that Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice. What does that mean? It's not just a sacrifice that's covering your sins. An atoning sacrifice is a sacrifice that atoned, in other words, made up for. And he, through his blood, brought us back into relationship with our Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Number two, remember that the bread represents his physical body being pierced and wounded for us. The prophet Isaiah wrote for us, it's been preserved for us by God all these thousands of years, what we call Isaiah 53, starting in verse five, but he was pierced for our rebellion. And this is a remarkable thing that the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus is born into the earth, hundreds of years before the Roman Empire existed, hundreds of years before the method of execution and crucifixion was even invented, the prophet in the spirit realm sees in the future and witnesses the sacrifice of this man, the Messiah, and he writes down for us, he's pierced for our rebellion. He's crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And so the bread reminds us of the physical suffering that he endured on our behalf. Remembering this should cause us to have a deep desire to never do anything that would dishonor Jesus. Now think about this. Let's talk about this for a moment here. When we, when we think about it, we remember all that Jesus endured in order for us to be transported out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of God, it required Jesus to suffer horribly. Now, I pray that we never let this become just a, a ritualistic thing. That would just, just become something like, okay, yeah, let's just have communion. And that's one of the reasons why we do not practice communion at every service. Uh, familiarity is not good sometimes. We need to keep this as something special. We need to set it apart as a special thing. That doesn't mean that you can't partake of communion at home. I've done that many, 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 many times throughout the years. During times of, of just celebration or times of hardship or just times of just sensing that the Holy Spirit would want me to, to take some time apart and just take communion together, just remembering all that Jesus did, even to the point where sometimes, so that it does not become so familiar that it's just cliche-ish and just taken for granted and just has no special meaning to it any longer. Sometimes when I sense my heart is getting that way, when I sense that I'm getting stale in that area, that I don't have an appreciation for what Jesus did, I'll, I'll just go back and watch that movie again, The Passion of the Christ. Because it's such a, a brutal, brutally graphic portrayal of all that Jesus did. And you see that, you see what he endured, you see it suffering. And the reason I'm bringing this all up here is not for us to, to just boo-hoo or to feel guilty or to, 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 to bring a sadness into the room. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, that our remembrance of what he suffered should cause a restrainer to rise up on the inside. When I mean restrainer, this is what I'm talking about. Every day of our lives, we're gonna be faced with temptation to sin again. That might be a surprise to you, but it's true. Every day of our lives, multiple times throughout the day, we're gonna be faced with the opportunity to sin. I think back of certain situations in my own life, and then you, you think to yourself, well, wait a second, wait a second, yeah, I can do this if I really want to. The Holy Spirit's not gonna strangle me and say, you can't do this. 
But there's something that we allow sometimes to rise up on the inside. And if we think about what Jesus endured, think about what he suffered. In order for us to have the choice, in order for us to actually have the freedom to be able to choose whether we're going to sin or not, something inside should rise up in the inside of us and say, you know what, I can't dishonor him. I can't do this. I know this isn't something that he would want me to get involved in. This is certainly something that I, I shouldn't be involved in. Uh, you know, but my flesh is pulling me this way. There's something should rise up on the inside when we constantly remind ourselves of what it cost him to say, no, I'm not going to, not for that temporary pleasure, not for that, that ability to either just speak something I shouldn't speak and hurt someone or retaliate or anything. I'm not going to do it because that would dishonor everything that Jesus suffered at the cross. There's power and remembrance, church, if we constantly remind ourselves that if it were not for all that he did at the cross, for all that he suffered, for all the pain, the humiliation, if it were not for that, we wouldn't be able to sit here today with a sense of freedom, with a sense of I can worship my father. I don't have to worry about being struck by lightning. I don't have to worry about the ground that's going to open and swallow me and all my possessions. Amen? Amen. This power and remembrance, church. And the other thing I want to talk to you about also along these lines is that for us to never let Jesus' suffering go wasted. Never. Never let it become of no effect. Now, now, now I want you to picture this. Let's go back to that. Let's go back to that scene at the cross. Let's go back to that scene at Calvary. Okay, Jesus is on the cross, and there's, we don't know how many. There could have been dozens and dozens, maybe, maybe hundreds of people that came out to witness his crucifixion. Got to remember, Jerusalem is, is packed with, with pilgrims, with uh, people that are coming there to celebrate Passover. It's, it's not unlikely that there could have been hundreds of people that came out the city gates to watch his crucifixion. And it's unfortunate, but the truth is that Jesus' suffering had no effect on those people that stood at the cross, mocking him, cursing him, spitting on him. Religion had made their hearts so hard that they could not see the very one that was written in their scriptures. They could not recognize him. And therefore, all of his suffering was of no effect on their hearts. But there was one man. The Bible tells, the Gospels tells us there was a Roman soldier who witnessed all of what Jesus had gone through and may have been the one that put the nails in his hands and in his feet. The Bible says that when Jesus finally died, his spirit left his body, that this Roman soldier, so impacted by the suffering that he witnessed, that he made this statement, surely this was the Son of God. Don't ever, ever, ever cause his suffering to be wasted. Always remind yourself of how precious you are to him and all that he endured on your behalf. And remember to never lose sight of the real battle that was fought for you and I. If you lose sight of the battle, you're gonna lose your battle. And what I'm talking about is this, church. It's just dropped on me the other morning like a ton of bricks. Might not be a big deal to you, but it was certainly a big deal to me. This thought just penetrated my heart. The greatest battle ever fought was not between Jesus and Satan. That was a no-brainer. There is no place in the scriptures that we see Jesus struggling against Satan. No place. If he came across someone who was influenced under the influence of Satan, with a word, he cast the devil out of that person. There's no fight. You don't see the devil fighting back. The closest we come to is in the wilderness. At the, at the, at the weakest point in Jesus' life, having been 40 days with no water, no food, at the end of that 40 days, the devil comes in to tempt him. But Jesus, with the word of God, 
issues a statement, one after the other, with every scripture that the devil brought. And then it says, and the devil left. We don't see a battle, we don't, we don't see a fight. Many of us have conjured up in our heads this religious idea that you know God is sitting on one, on one chair and there's a little table here with a chessboard on it and then you've got the devil on the other side and you and I are the, the little pieces the, and just going back. That, that, that's not, there's no, there is no contest between Satan and God Almighty. There was certainly no contest between Satan and Jesus. There's no battle. The greatest battle that Jesus fought on our behalf didn't take place on the cross. It took place in the garden as Jesus struggled between his flesh and his spirit. That's the greatest battle that was ever fought on our behalf. And thank God, after three times of going to, to going to the Father, three times praying, and basically his mind is racing, trying to find a loophole, trying to find some way out of this, trying to find some way to accomplish our salvation without having to go through the suffering, then finally, thank God, his spirit wins. And he says to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And then he gets up off his knees and goes to the cross. Church, if that battle had not been won by the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I would be eternally lost. If his human side had won over his spirit man, you and I would be eternally lost. I want to say that to you because we need to also remember that it's because of that battle and because that Jesus won, that you and I have power over our flesh. And so the greatest battle we need to remember that we're ever gonna fight is always gonna be between our flesh and our nature, between our old nature and our new nature in Christ. And we thank God that he won that battle and therefore gave us the ability and the power. Now look, at all throughout the scriptures, we see very little. When I'm talking about scriptures, I'm talking about New Testament, the epistles. What do we mean by epistle, Pastor? It sounds like a very fancy word. The letters that Paul wrote to the church, the letters that John wrote, Peter, James, Jude, all of these letters that give us instruction of how we're to carry on, almost all of them are exclusively about our battle with the flesh, not our battle with Satan. The only place you find the references to those type of things as far as fighting the devil himself is in Ephesians chapter six and lists the areas of equipment that we have. Other than that, all we hear is equipment, is encouragement, empowerment, on how we are to cause our spirit to arise and have ascendancy, or in other words, preeminence over our flesh. Because you guys realize we're still in a body, right? We still have emotions, we still have a soul to deal with, we still have flesh still has a pull on us. In other words, your, 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 your soul is gonna wanna go with your body. Your body has appetites that it wants to fulfill. That's where the battle is. Your battle, church, is not between you and Satan. Your battle is between you, your spirit, and your flesh. Now thank God, now listen, in Colossians chapter three, listen to the, to the, the, the words of encouragement that we receive from the Apostle Paul. But now it is time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. That's not the devil. That's a product of our flesh. That's a product of our human nature. He says, get rid of these things. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature with all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. What is, he, what is Paul, what is the Holy Spirit saying to us? Get rid of this junk. Don't let the flesh win. Don't let your emotions win. Don't let the human side win. Allow your spirit to rise up. Allow the spirit that was put in you 
through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to give you the ability to overcome those temptations and those deeds of the flesh. Then it goes on to say this in Colossians chapter 12, verse, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 12. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. Who's going to do it? Come on, church, wake up. Who's going to do it? We are. We're going to do it. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Finally, when life gets tough, church, it seems like you're not going to make it. Remember what it cost Jesus to bring us back in relationship with the Father again. Remember that great exchange, how he took all of our sin so that we could step into his righteousness. It's all because of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that something I shared with you this morning is going to ignite something inside your heart or stir something back up again that was there previously to have an appreciation for all that God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today.